Well, <clears throat> good morning, Mountain View. It's good to be here. It's good to celebrate with you on this, uh, on this wonderful day. Um, uh, I bring to you uh, greetings from your sister church in Ancaster, Meadowlands Fellowship. And uh, uh, a number of us are here today to celebrate with you the ordination of uh, Jolene Veenstra, who has uh, been a blessing to us, God's, God's blessing to us uh, for, uh, for many years as she has ministered among us. And so it's uh, really wonderful to, uh, to celebrate this together. Um, and, and, you know, to name her Reverend, right? The Reverend, Reverend Jolene Veenstra. You know, Eric, you probably too know people whose title is the very Reverend you know, out there. And I don't know if you or I would ever attain to such a thing, but I think, I think Jolene has a shot. <laughs> I really do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, uh, one of the fun things that I get to do as a pastor is premarital counseling. And so before I perform a wedding, uh, I sit down with a happy couple uh, for a few sessions to prepare for, you know, not just the wedding, but to, but to prepare them for the marriage. And one helpful tool that I use is an assessment tool that probably many of you have heard of. It's called uh, The Five Love Languages. And it's, uh, it's based on a book by, uh, uh, of the same name by Gary Chapman, if you want to run out and get it. Um, Chapman's thesis is that there are these five uh, distinct different ways that people hear and say, I love you. Uh, and that's how they hear it or say it uh, to their partners or, or their parents or children uh, or anyone that is close to them. And these five love languages are physical touch, words of affirmation, acts of service, gift giving, and quality time spent together. Five love languages. And I use this tool with couples because if a marriage is going to remain strong, each person has to be sure that they are saying, I love you, in a way that their spouse can hear it. Well, one of the truths about Jesus that we learn from the Bible is that he spoke each of the five love languages fluently. And we'll see his love expressed for us today in our scripture reading um, when he uses the love language of giving. This morning, uh, so I, I want to invite you to, uh, uh, if you're taking your Bible along, open it up, uh, open your pew Bibles to the text for this morning, which is Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. Uh, and I invite you to keep it open in front of you, maybe uh, sitting on your knee. Um, as we walk through the, uh, the passage, um, it'll provide the structure for the message and, and you know, help you to uh, follow along closely. So our text from this morning is from the time of the, the early church. Uh, it, it's, it's literally a, a letter that's written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians who are living in the city of Ephesus. And the church there is one that he knew quite well. He, uh, he had uh, lived among them for, for more than two years. Um, and he's writing to encourage and teach them, and he wants to coach them uh, in this new movement, right, called Christianity. And one of the things he wants to do in this letter is to prompt them in their growth uh, from new or, or, or newborn believers to maturing Christians. So to um, Ephesians 4, verses, I'll read verses 11 through 16. 
So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The word of the Lord. So if, if giving gifts is a sign of love, then we can be assured today that God loves us. It's what, what Paul is teaching here. Uh, God gives gifts to us. In particular, God gives gifted people to equip the church. The church through all ages has had a, a variety of, of workers uh, within it. Certain offices were essential for that first generation of Christians, right? And these are listed at the very beginning of the reading there in, in, uh, in verse 11. Apostles were a limited number of people who were called by Jesus himself, had a personal call. They had a unique calling to speak and, and to teach as groundbreaking witnesses of Christ's ministry and teaching. Prophets were those who spoke spirit-inspired word, God's New Testament word before and as the New Testament was written. And then there are evangelists who spread the good news of Jesus, the risen Messiah, in their travels. And then on the local level, there are pastors and teachers who develop those, those local Christians. Such leaders, Paul said, they were gifted people given to the church for its flourishing. And today, you know, part of the reason we're here is to celebrate and to consider the, the gifts and the work and the ministry of, of Pastor Jolene. It was, you know, it was almost 12 years ago that uh, Krista and I accepted the call and, and moved to, uh, to Hamilton to start our work at Meadowlands Fellowship. And when I arrived, uh, Jolene was a member of the council. Um, she, was, uh, she was ordained as a pastoral elder. Um, and, and, and I saw her good work. I saw God's good work through her. Even at this extraordinarily young age, you must have been like, like what, like 19 or something. That was 12 years ago. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy. And, and so just, just seeing that in her, um, you know, uh, getting to work alongside her as a colleague, just it's, it's so informed my uh, my response when she, when she came and she asked me um, a number of years ago, do you, think, do you think maybe God might be calling me into full-time ministry? And, and you've seen it too in the past year and a, and a half in her work here among you at, at Mountain View. All, all of us have come to recognize that she is God's gift to the church. Pastor Jolene is a sign, I think, a sign of how much God loves this community. She's a gift to you. She's worked to make connections, right, uh, for newcomers coming from Fruitland, for, for members who continue in worshiping fellowship uh, via the live stream, 
For those looking for counsel and care, she also brings the, the message, the blessing of God's word in her pulpit ministry. And, and, and this church, too, serves as a kind of uh, home base and launching pad for the, for the work that she does caring for those in, in the hospital. The sick, the lonely, the grieving, right? Jolene is God's gift to those who are struggling with, with humanity's most pressing troubles. For those who are a part of this church community and beyond. In a word, right, she's been pastoring. There's a sense in which today we're catching up with what God has been doing through Jolene and in Jolene for years, ministering through the gifts that he has given to her. Today we're recognized God's love to us in her. But Jolene is a gift given for a specific purpose. Jesus provides pastors because pastors are called to equip the church. Verse 12. Pastors exercise their ministry for the church's benefit. They helping especially uh, members, equipping and outfitting them, preparing them for what's ahead. Church people are, are being prepared for works of service. Because the truth is, every member has a ministry. Right, together, uh, Eric and, and Jolene are, are co-pastors here, along with you know, the rest of the staff, but, but every one of you, every one of you is a minister. There are tasks that God has prepared for you. G Paul lays this out earlier in the letter explicitly. He says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The church can be compared to, to a, a boat, a, a large ship. If you're a part of the church, if you've been called on board, it is very important. I tell you, it is vitally important for you to understand and to know, to have the right idea of what kind of vessel this church is. Because the problem is many people have the wrong idea. Many people seem to think that the church is a cruise ship. Right? There are staff there to attend to the passengers' needs, make them feel comfortable. There's children's programming, you know, because, you know, when, you, you know, when you're here to sort of rest and relax, you don't want the children underfoot. Some refreshments are provided after the onboard entertainment. <laughs> but most of all, there's a comfortable seat to lounge in and just let the cares and worries of the week melt away. My friends, the church is not a cruise ship. The church is a mercy ship. It's like one of those missionary floating hospitals that goes from port to port wherever they're needed. There are patients to be found and welcomed and prepped. Some lead the work of healing. Some are, are needed to maintain the integrity of the vessel so that we can stay afloat. Others provide nourishment of one kind or another to keep everyone going strong. Some are on watch, looking out for rocks and shoals, ensuring safe navigation. Small number at the helm, guiding the, the ship through rough waters. Oh, members of Mountain View, this is not a cruise ship. This is a mercy ship. 
And we are afloat in a world of hurt. So God gives gifted people to build up the body of Christ. The second part of verse 12, they're, they're to equip the church for ministry. Equip is the Greek word katartizo. Uh, katartizo. In the Bible, that word katartizo gets used in a number of different ways. It's used for preparing and training. So pastors help people find ministry opportunities that fit them, places to serve, give them specific tools for ministry, and, and help them to hone their skills. Katartizo, that's the word. You know what? It occurs in a really unique spot elsewhere. When, when, when Jesus uh, is out calling his disciples, he comes, comes across James and John and, and their father Zebedee there by their fishing boats, and what are they doing? They're catartizoing their nets. They're mending the nets, tying them back together, healing them, if you will. This is, this is like Jolene's ministry of equipping by encouraging and counseling and coming alongside, whether in the church community or in a hospital setting. To use another illustration, pastors and others are God's gifts to the church in the same way that on, on a prof professional sports team, their coaches and trainers are, are, are in a sense, the, the team owner's gifts to the players. Imagine, imagine a, a, a pro team, a pro sports te team that has no staff whatsoever. The players are on their own to figure out their strategy and their, and their training. It's not how it's done. It's not how it's done because God wants a winning team, you see. He wants to field a winning team. God gives the gift of skilled ministry leaders because he has in mind specific purposes for the church. Verse 13. First, first Paul says, it is Christ's wish that the church would be united in faith. Right? Think about that early church. They're coming from a whole variety of different backgrounds. You got Jewish people, uh, you know, coming from the Roman temples. Uh, you got uh, or, uh, you know, from the synagogues, and then Gentiles coming from the Roman temples, and more and more different people coming as time goes on. And as you might imagine, people brought along, there are different kinds of ideas about who God is and how God ought to be served and what he asks of us. So here Paul's returns to an earlier theme in his letter, that, that of unity. Earlier in this chapter, his focus was on oneness in, in a kind of a liter, litany, one body, one spirit, one hope, one God and Father of all. Oneness. We call the oneness. This diverse body of, of different people coming together need to be one. Many, many members, but, but one church. Paul also says that God's purpose is that the church would be unified in their knowledge of Jesus. Not just, not just that they would agree about various different doctrines, but that but that the church that we would know God, that we would know Christ in our minds and our hearts and our souls, unified in our deep experience and love of him in the, in the fellowship of, of our hearts and in our homes and at the table. Third, God also has the goal that we would become mature. Because there are different kinds of growing. There's growing in size, and there's growing in maturity. Imagine, you know, this, again, the sports team owner, is, uh, let's say it's a soccer team, and his goal for his soccer team is that it would grow in numbers, 
And so he doesn't want to spend money on coaches and trainers and managers. He's got a totally different plan. He's going to invest in a lot of players. I mean, a lot of them. So he, he fields a team. He's got 80 players on the field. 80 of them. But his 80 players don't know what they're doing. Many of them, actually, they don't know how to play. They're not that interested in the ball. And no one's guarding the net. Well, that big old team's going to lose. Churches can seek to grow in different ways. Churches can grow in numbers. But it's better to seek to grow in maturity. Those churches where, where members find that they are growing in their faith and in their love of God, those that are, as, as Paul directs, uh, becoming more and more mature week by week, those churches also have a tendency to grow in numbers. Because such a church is a place where lives are transformed, where hurting people are healed. A church like that is one that grows in maturity and in size and blessing in that way. So how do we know? How do we know when, when we've arrived? What, what, what's the goal? What does that look like? Just how mature are we supposed to get? Well, Paul says he wants the church to attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. How, how mind-blowing is that? To attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. To have complete possession of all he wants to give us. To absorb all the gifts and grace of Jesus himself. In other words, we ought to become like Jesus. You know, people see us, they see Jesus. That's, that's the goal. That's the maturity goal. This is the church's driving ambition. What did Jesus do? How did he live? Uh, okay, well then that's what we want to do. That's who we want to be. That's how we want to live. We, wanna, we want the world to look at the church and see Jesus. There needs to be this direct connection in every church between what is taught and how members live. Paul describes the proof of real maturity, verses uh, 14 and 15. One that we would not be vulnerable. We would no longer be like babies, he says. A new Christian is not yet able to discern truth from fiction. The church in, in Ephesus, too, it's, it's a young church. But they've had some equipping. Paul is pushing them. He's pushing them to, to, continue, to continue to grow, to grow up. Immature Christians are like, he says, uh, boats tossed and blown about. Now, to us, being tossed and blown about on a boat, uh, some of us maybe have some experience with that, and that's, it's, you know, it's kind of inconvenient, it's irritating. Tell you what, in the first century, that's terrifying because of the threat of death. The word tossed there is also in Luke 8, verse 24, when Luke is describing what's happening on the Sea of Galilee. The word can also mean dizzying, as in you lose your sense of direction. Immature Christians are subject to deceitful schemes. At the time, traveling teachers uh, would, you know, would be on the road seeking supportive, financially supportive uh, disciples. Well, today, too, we live in a world with you know, ideas are let loose. There's so many competing philosophies, it can be hard to figure out what we're supposed to think. That's why God gives us the church gives us pastors and teachers and elders and deacons as a gift, not so much to tell us what to think, but to teach us how to think. The wandering Paul describes 
is also a squandering of good gifts. It's a sad thing when good gifts get squandered, right? It's Christmas time, child opens a present, and it's an iPad. And they use the iPad in the bathtub as a raft to give the cat a ride. (laughs) That's a waste. That is a squandering of a good gift. Well, we are gifted to grow. There's a, there's a wastefulness in simply filling a pew. You've received a gift. Again, imagine that mercy ship. You know, the, the surgeons are there in the onboard operating room and they're, they're performing a vital surgery. And in walks someone in flip-flops wearing a Hawaiian shirt carrying a margarita and they want to lodge a complaint because they don't like the onboard entertainment. I, I've been there, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's, uh, they, they think this is a cruise ship, and that's not helpful. It's unhelpful. It is when we mature that we become like Christ. Verse 15, we speak the truth in love. We're not using deceitful schemes to get our way There's a straightforwardness in teaching. When we grow up, we will be Christ's mature body in every respect. It's a body that is a match for the head. When a person is young, an infant, uh, their head is about 25% of their height. In time, the body grows to reach its right or matured size in proportion to the head. That's what the church needs to do. Right? This is the process that the church is in. We're, we're, We're growing We're the body that's growing to match our head, Christ. How do we get there? How do we get to that kind of maturity? Well, Paul concludes this section, our reading, with a pathway to progress. The church, the body of Christ, is built by joining together, verse 16. It's interconnected. uh, uh, Paul uses here a construction term. It's a difference between just a pile of logs and a beautiful home interconnectedness the right kind of connectedness we in the church we we ought to know each other we ought to be connected we ought to laugh together we ought to ought to lean on one another we ought to share tears and child care and and casseroles and fine wine together you ever see a church that's not united ever ever experience such a thing it's a hard road but, but right, right connectedness, unity, gives the church strength. Disunity in a church, it's, it's like termites in a wooden structure. Everything looks fine until you apply a little pressure. A unified church where, where members are interconnected is one that stands strong together. The church is, is many, many members, but the church is one. That's what Paul is calling for here. Calling for from these Ephesian Christians. The body of Christ is also built up in love. A community of people can be united without love. Think of a business, right? A business can get stuff done. But you don't want to be a part of a church that runs itself like a business. If you've tried it, you know that it, it's just wrong. 
A healthy, growing, maturing church is a loving church because un- unloving church is a hideously ugly thing. Just about everyone, even outside the church, is, is familiar with another part of, of Paul's writing in his letters about love. You remember? If I do amazing things but I have not love, I am nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Uh, it does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. All of that stuff. You know what? 1 Corinthians 13, we need to be reminded, 1 Corinthians 13 was not written for, for a, a, a young couple standing at the altar. 1 Corinthians 13, those words were written for a church community. Those words were written, those, that amazing, amazing poem of love is written for a church that was wrestling to be united. Love in a community is powerful. It's magnetic. When people hear of a church where its members actually love each other, they want to know about it. They want to hear about it. They want to be a part of it. And they'll flock to it. That's the goal. That's the measure. As, as you know, Jolene and Eric and Ruthann and all the staff, they do their work. You know what? The best, the best measure of their ministry is your ministry. They will know that their ministry is flourishing when your ministry is flourishing. The body is built when it is interconnected, when the members love each other as each part does its work. Because, you know, there's, there's, a, there's some bad ideas out there about how the church ought to work. You've, you know, I gave you the ship illustration. Here's another one. It's modified from Kierkegaard. That's another sports illustration. If the church were a sport, if the church were a team sport, many of us would think that, that everybody who's on stage, up front, those are the players. You know, the, the preacher, the musicians, the readers, prayers, etc. And then you... You, you, then, must be the entertained fans sitting on the sidelines, cheering. And the music stops, and you leave, and the game is over. Well, you might guess that's not actually how it works. Because there are no sidelines in the church. There are no bleachers in the church. That world out there, that whole world, that is our playing field. What is this room then? I'll tell you what this room is. This room's the locker room. You're in the locker room. Here's where we tape people up. We do some coaching, some training. It's an inspirational talk. And when the service ends, all of you, all of us, were sent back out into the game. And we all get to play. Everybody gets to play. And then out on the field, it is Jesus who is cheering us on. Everyone is a player. Everyone has a part. May the church be blessed through the Holy Spirit at work in Jolene's ministry. And may you be inspired, moved to rise up from the bench to see God's game plan and be equipped to go out there and play. And all God's people agreed and said, Amen. Let us reflect together.
Jesus, friend, Savior, and Lord, how blessed we are to be called by you into the game, to be called on board, to be your servants, to engage in the work that you are doing, that you call us alongside. Lord, we thank you for pastors and teachers, for elders and deacons. This morning especially, we thank you for Pastor Jolene. And we ask your blessing upon her as she blesses us, as she equips us to do your work in a hurting world. All this we ask as we offer ourselves in your name. Amen.